sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee. Joining me on the Tales of Tennessee podcast today is one of CMT's next women of country. She has over 2.5 million streams and video views from her album Cold Comfort, the deluxe version, which was released in January this year and is about to head off on a nine-date UK tour with Sam Outlaw. It is US artist Ruthie Collins, so very much welcome to the podcast, oh, Ruthie. thank you for having me. This is fun. So can you give us a little bit of a background as to where you, how you got to where you are today? I understand you've got a really musical family and you, your whole background has been yeah, music. Yeah, so I grew up on a farm that's been my family for almost 200 years, which does not really mean that much around here, but in the States, that's pretty old. Um, so um, up in Western New York, I'm like very, um, very, very far from the city, I'd yeah. say, New York, but I'm about 10, 10 hours away from Manhattan, oh, wow. close okay. to Canada, yeah. So um, growing up there... My mom was a classical pianist, a church organist, a music teacher, and my father was a public school teacher, and he was a writer in his spare time. He writes children's novels and true crime and all kinds of things like that. So I'm kind of their little clone, you know, and became a songwriter. Um, But growing up, no one really listened to country music when I was little. My mom really only played classical. My dad played maybe a little bit of, like, James Taylor. And I fell in love with country radio in middle school. I was dating, like, some little, you know, I was in seventh grade. Yeah. I would go to his hockey games. His parents would play country radio on, um, on the car rides to Buffalo. And I was just like, what is this? It's amazing. I just love the storytelling. Mm. There are a lot of just amazing female artists in the 90s. So it was a good time to fall in love with country. Yeah, um, but, you know, where I'm from, it's it's not like in Nashville. I think it would probably be, like, here. If you said, you know, you grew up in London, you said, I want to be country music. Mm. People might be like, well... That's interesting. You know, that's kind of how it was for me. In Nashville, they'd be like, well, let's get you some guitar lessons and you're on your way. Um, But so I ended up going to school for songwriting up in Boston and then moved to Nashville after that and started writing songs as soon as I got there with as many people as I could and just kind of wrote my way into town and eventually got a record deal and I published her records and have been releasing music with them since about 2015. Amazing. So I'm a farmer's daughter. Yes. Live on a farm. Um, and over here, it's, you know, lots of farmers don't like country music. Yeah. It's not sort of the go-to mm-hmm. music, but it is obviously becoming more more yeah. and more popular. Is that sort of similar in New York? You know, is if you grow up on a farm, if you're surrounded by farmers, mm-hmm. there's a tendency to think, oh, well, they must love country music right. then because they're farmers. But right. actually, that's not necessarily true over here. What, it is, wasn't true in New York. Yeah. I think it's much more common in the South right. and out West. Um, but And I think now in the Northeast it is common. Yeah. Just when I was growing up, it was there was sort of this stigma around country music yeah. when I was a kid where everyone would, it was really trendy to say, oh, I like all music except for country, yeah. you know, and now that's totally changed. Back when country wasn't cool. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So I think I think it's more normal now. So what do the, what do the farmers listen to here? Um, to be honest, so a lot of my contemporaries now mm. are starting to listen to country music, but I don't know if that's just because we're all getting a little bit older right. um, and sort of more sedate. But back when I was growing up, you know, it was very much what everybody else would listen to, so whether it's pop or yeah, whatever, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. you know, on Radio 1, yeah. um, I think general tractor dials for a teenager is is Radio right. 1, you yes. know, capital, things yes. like that. So, um, But yeah, so maybe it's just because we're all 
getting a little bit more sensible as we get older <laughs> that we we um well because it has become quite yeah, commercial it has absolutely absolutely um so you're over here you've just played the c2c festival at the o2 yes. in london um how was that and why is it so why is it important for you to come yeah. over to the uk well it's such a dream um we hear so much about these uk audiences in nashville and you know i've just been hearing about i've thought it for decades just mm. people love touring the uk they really are like great listening audiences over there. They're so attentive and they know the words, they know the album, they don't just know the single. I guess um, I heard once someone said that country music fans in America are quite fickle. So they know what's on the radio, but they don't necessarily do the deep dives in the mm. album on the artists. And so basically as a touring act in, in the States, if you have a song on the radio, you can get booked a lot. But if you don't, you can't. And yeah. also if you don't have a song on the radio for maybe a year, it totally yeah. drops off, but then they'll pay attention to you again when you're on the radio. And yeah. I think the UK, it's just, I'm not sure why y'all are mm. just like lovely fans. You just really dig deep into the music. And, and I experienced that right away. It's to see my first performance. Um, it's just like a huge crowd and everyone was listening. And I think it's at some point I said, you know, I've always heard about these UK audiences and there's, they're so attentive and they're great listeners, but this is just blowing me away. Y'all are being so kind someone in the front row and said well you're quite good <laughs> and I was like well, thank you it's so nice I think in the run up to C2C um, we have a uh, on Facebook there's a mm. country music attendees Facebook yeah. group it's got I think it's just hit 10,000 followers mm. now and you know the run up to C2C pretty much goes on the entire year yeah. after the the previous one so this year in particular we've had sort of three years since mm. the last one and people do get so into it and when the timings are released you know people are creating spreadsheets of everybody they want to see when nice. they need to be where they need to be so and I think cool. it's um for us it's so amazing to be able to come and see acts like yourself in what's quite an intimate venue yeah. especially in those stages mm-hmm outside of the main arena um, and actually say hello to you afterwards yeah. and meet you and what have you because that's not in other genres I don't think oh, it's that accessible no. at all that's so it's really lovely about country music is you can really like get to know the artists yeah. they're very accessible I think CMA Fest is kind of the one that sort of started that yeah. called Fanfare yeah. and yeah there's no other genre you'd be able to no. go meet like literally stand in line and talk to all the biggest superstars in that genre I don't yeah. know you know yeah. Even pop music, they don't do meet and greets. We all do meet and greets yeah. after our shows. Yeah. You know, it's, it's good. It's, like I said, I'm a people person, so I love it. I love meeting people. No, and it stories. is. it just makes it very personal mm-hmm. to everybody who's mm-hmm. watching, and I assume yeah. who's, who's performing yeah. as well, to have that personal connection and like we are we're very lucky and we're very appreciative oh, to everybody who comes over so from, from the US oh, especially last year. so um, you meant you touched on you know growing up in the 90s some really mm-hmm. great artists what were your influences or who were your influences when you were growing up and when you discovered country yeah. music so I like I said I didn't really really find country music until middle school mm. and I was really left to my own devices so as you were saying it's like just Pop radio was my only like source of mm. music inspiration before that. So I think I was like a huge Mariah Carey fan back in the day. Oh, yes. That music box CD was so oh good. I've yeah. overplayed that yes, way too me much. Too. Um, and then I think the first record I ever got, because I had that on cassette the first CD I ever got was Smashing Pumpkins in sixth yeah. grade. It was a great one. And then Green Day. So totally oh, just yes. all over the map. Yeah. But just what was on pop radio. Yeah. And then I found country music and just like kind of that double Y of Garth Brooks record. It's yeah. just, I wore that thing out. Yeah. 
And we had Jody Messina and Trisha Yearwood and Ann Rimes, Martina Fry. It was Shania such a Twain. great era, wasn't it? Yeah, those Shania Twain records were incredible. Um, so yeah, just like all those big powerhouse women, Reba. Yeah. Um, one of my like biggest career accomplishments is I got to go open for Reba for a few oh, shows, amazing. and she was just Absolutely amazing. The kindest. She would come out for my sound checks every day, give me a big hug, and she'd fly oh. away on her private jet at the end of the night. And I was just like, wow. Oh, I didn't think I could love her more than I did. No, she's so kind. She's so kind. Um, Yeah, so it was just a really great time Mm -hmm. for country music. But still, I don't think that I thought that was something that I could do. Mm -hmm. Like, once again, just being from this tiny little town in New York, everything, like, everyone around me was very logical. And so when I said, oh, I want to sing country music, they'd say, so you want to be a school teacher? And I'm like, (laughs) did I say that? I said, I want to be a country singer. And they're like, so you want to be a music school teacher? And I'm like, no. But that was the only thing they could wrap their head around, yeah. how you could do music for a career. Clearly, you be a teacher. Um, I didn't want to do that. So I went to school and found out you could major for song- with songwriting at the mm. school I went to. I really only went to this college, Berkeley, because it was, they had a commercial music program. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll be around contemporary music. And I still had no idea it was something I would be able to do. Um, so I went to college, and I took a job at a church in San Antonio very briefly as a local contemporary director and that just wasn't creative enough for me so I moved to Nashville and just was writing songs as much as I could but it really wasn't until I found myself competing on a um, reality show on CMT it's called Can You Duet it was a little show um, and my duo partner and I came in sixth and that was the moment where I was competing on national television for a record deal that I really thought for the very first time in my whole life maybe this is something that I could be good enough to do. But until that point, I mean, I wouldn't even have dared dream that. I think that makes me very different. And I'm not sure if it's a good way or a bad way, but most of my girlfriends who are in country music, they grew up dreaming of singing arenas and playing the Opry. And it wasn't that I didn't want to do those things. I just, I couldn't, there wasn't, that was way too big of a dream Mm. for someone like me from my town. just wasn't, wasn't feasible even in my head. Yeah. Um, so I guess I had to move to Nashville, kind of meet these, you know, I think we call them expanders, you know, people that can actually make your brain aware of the fact yeah. that people get to do that for a living and that you could maybe do it too if you work hard enough. I, I love that. Um, and it is so inspirational. And, and that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast yeah. is to kind of get the backstory, yeah. not just of artists, but from people within the industry mm-hmm. as well. Because it does seem so inaccessible yes. if you're not involved yes. in music. Oh, sure. Where do you even start? Where do you start? Exactly, exactly. And, you, you know, I fell into it by accident. My background was horse racing. Mm-hmm. And I started working at a race course, which had only just opened. There weren't mm-hmm. very many of us. And we were putting on concerts and stuff. So basically, yeah. everybody had to get stuck in and do everything. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I found that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, it took I me till that. age... 34 to realize that that's what I'm supposed to be doing and um because it was so inaccessible it just never even occurred to me that it was something that I could do so hearing that also from somebody Mm -hmm. like yourself that it is so inspirational for people to open their eyes and go actually whatever you think you can do this you You really can do this I know so many people now that are like me in that story where because I wasn't the best singer in college not even close I was by far the underdog and all of my college friends definitely are, I think are, maybe they wouldn't admit it to me, but they're surprised that I'm hanging in there and that I'm the one who, you know, has the record deal and is releasing songs to country radio and is really stuck in it, but they've seen me grow. And I really am a testament to the fact that you can do anything 
Like, and people just think music is so, you have the talent or you don't, but it's really not. It's like mm. anything else. Yes, you're born with some natural talent. It gives you an up. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but, um, I really think it's like any other industry. Now, I don't know that I could become like a surgeon if I put the time in, but you know, I really just through hours and hours and hours since that kind of thousand hour rule people yeah. talk about. I really think life is like that. You put mm. the time in and you want something bad enough and you just stick at it, you can absolutely accomplish anything you want. Because I did not have this voice when I was young. Not well, I have to say, having heard you heard your voice, I'm amazed that you say that you're not, oh. you know, one of the strongest singers and I'm Intrigued as to what they all, what uh, they all sound well, I like. I, just, I went to college with all these big belters. Yes. You know, my mom says that I came home from college and, you know, my Thanksgiving break and I sat down at the piano and she said, and you screamed. Like, mm. not like, ah, but like I was trying to sing yes. like the other girls. Yes. And she was like, it was just like you were screaming on pitch. Mm. You were trying to, that's not how I sing no. now. And I've realized that it's okay to sound different. It's yeah. actually to sound different absolutely you know but back in the day I just I didn't know who I was and I wasn't a strong vocalist mm. and it took years of deciding what I wanted to sound like and kind of developing my natural voice to get to where I am today mm. but it was not you know I was not you know that's kind of why I look at people like Taylor Swift and she's gonna get a you know bad rap for not being a great singer in the mm. beginning but she was 14 yeah my god yeah. like did you hear like I was not a good singer at yeah. 14 you know she grows, she matures, she's always been a fantastic songwriter, and mm. now she's developed into a great singer as well, yeah. you know, but it was like that for me, I just, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a great singer. And I think that's, that's also really interesting that when you're saying, you know, finding out who, who you were yeah. and how you sing, and from a festival promoter's point of view, mm. uh, I get lots and lots of submissions for each, sure. each year's festival, oh, yeah. so I think we had sort of over... 160 or something for, for this year yeah. and they're all competing for like six slots maybe yeah. but I'm looking for something that's different yeah. so actually it's really important to embrace yes. that you don't sound yeah. the same yeah. as everybody yeah. else because yeah. you're absolutely there you've got your yeah. USP which is mm-hmm. it's so important and especially on if you're trying to break through on radio yeah. the thing is like I think I grew up in a time where we were also inspired by Faith Hill mm. Martina that now the girls in Nashville are well, when I moved there, they were all big belters. They all mm. sounded like Carrie Underwood, which yeah. we all kind of wanted to sound like that. But then you realize, well, it's actually good to not sound like that because, you know, I mean, Nash was such a crazy place, especially for females. I remember there was a time when Sony or Warner, I can't remember who it was, and they were like, well, we're not signing any bonds. Wow. You know, and it's like the fact that you wow. can get turned down just by something because of your hair color, you know, because they're just, they, they think there's only a few slots. You know, mm. I remember... One of the first places I met with a publisher, and they really liked our songs. And I was writing with all the writers; it was going great. And they said, well, "Unfortunately, we love your music, but we can't sign you because we have another female artist, and that would be a conflict of interest." They had one female signed to this publishing label, and they couldn't sign crazy. another one because it would be a conflict of interest. So you absolutely have to like just embrace yeah. what makes you different. And, what makes you stand out. and that's just gobsmacking from our point of view over mm-hmm. here because actually in the UK we've definitely got more female artists than we have oh, male yeah. artists um, and it just it seems so alien when you're kind of explaining yeah. things like that oh, yeah. it's, it's just, gotten so much better yeah. but I think it had to I almost think that I don't know I don't think there was some gatekeeper keeping women out I don't think there was anyone going like I don't like girl songs so we're not you know I don't, mm. I don't think it was like that I just think it was the pendulum slang 
hard towards women mm. in the 90s and then swung the other way. Yeah. And kind of when I moved to town, you know, a couple decades later, it just it was swung the other way towards the men. And then someone gets it in their head that, you know, women are harder to break. I've heard. I hear women don't sell tickets. Mm. They say women can't sell beer, which it means, you know, you can't sell tickets yeah. at a club if you can't sell yeah, yeah. beer. I've heard um, uh, just that, you know, that they don't do well at radio and women don't want to hear women. It's just like, it's all bull, you know, it's just like, it's, and it's getting better, you know? So what, for whatever reason that that was happening, it does seem like it's, it's getting better. It just seems, it just seems so crazy. It is. It's um, outlandish. Yeah. It's so crazy. Crazy to do too. And, and you've been named as one of CMT's mm-hmm. next women of country. Right. Has that changed anything for you? Cause you know, we always see the press releases about, awards nominations and titles that people have got but I'm interested as an artist does it actually make any make any difference I think those things are really lovely they're they're obviously very good for your self-esteem yeah every like artists were so fragile that like any little thing or a huge thing that happens it's all just like because you hear so many no's and you get beat down so much yeah. those things are so important um it's a huge honor to have the support of CMT mm. is amazing and really does change things for you and Lizzie Fram as this um company the foundation that they do called Change Conversation. It was all to help support women and mm-hmm. kind of change that, you know, you know, women at country radio yeah. things. So it's it's definitely a big deal. Um I don't know that it moves the needle as far as ticket sales mm-hmm. or um radio play, but it doesn't not you know what I mean? Yeah, and everything absolutely. helps. Absolutely. You pile those things on each other. Yeah. And it is, you know, like anything, when you put so much passion into it and and hard work and the thousand hours and what have yeah. you, to get a bit of recognition for it, it, just means a lot. it does yeah. It does mean so much. Mm. And so you were in Nashville for about five years before you were signed mm. to Curb. Yeah. How how was that for you? You know, was it a really really hard slog? They say you know it's a ten year town yeah. or what have you. So yeah. you know you're ahead of the curve on this one. Yeah. Um, but is it? It seems so competitive. Obviously, from talking yeah. talking to artists who are out there and what yeah. have you, um, and you hear all these stories that they're sleeping on a friend's couch and doing three different jobs yeah. just to try and make ends meet. Was it like that for it you? It was. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. If I would still say this, but I definitely, it was definitely the hardest time of my life back mm. then. Um, I remember on the, when we were on that reality show, they said, what's the hardest thing you've ever been through? And I think they wanted some soft story to, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the drama. And I just remember like, it was right then because you know, I was waiting tables mm. and could barely pay the rent and you're just day in and day out going to this job that you hate. All you want to do is write songs mm. and you barely have time to do it. So I would write songs on my days off. I would write doubles. And then every day I would write, you know, nine to four. And then I would go work at four thirty, work till one or two in the morning at this mm. bar and then get up and the next day. You just get exhausted. Yeah. And hearing so many no's for so long, you start, and then like you're, you're in this community where you can look around and everyone has a publishing deal mm. and you kind of get in your head for like, well, I, I think I'm as good as they are. What's mm. the problem with me? And you start to doubt yourself and your talents, your abilities. Um, so yeah, I definitely went through a season that was really tough. But I um, interviewed Billy Montana. I um, love Billy. He's the, the curve as well. Yeah, yeah, he's just such a lovely he guy. And he was saying, you know, it was ten years yeah. for him slogging yeah. his, exactly. his guts out and yeah. thinking, why have I brought my family down here? Oh what am gosh. I doing? Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously. 
then he, he hit a yes. rich vein of form and yes. everything's, everything's changed for him. So when you got your publishing deal, did that sort of change things overnight? Or I don't really know how it works in terms of you know your publishing deal. Yeah. Are you signed to them to write and you get paid if you write a song that they want to so they use? Put you or sort of how does what that they work? Call a draw, so it's a yeah. very small under the poverty level, yep. depending on, you know, what sometimes you get, you can get a big advance. I think I've heard of big artists getting like up to $200,000 oh, wow. a year. That's very unheard of. Yes. I mean, we're talking more in the twelve to yeah. $18,000 range. So, but it's something. Yes. You, know, you can leap a little bit. And yeah. Maybe pay your rent <laughs> if you have a lot of roommates. Um, Nashville rent is getting crazy out of control. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like, I don't know that it's as bad as London, but comparable, yeah. you know. So it's it's not really a living wage, but you can kind of get by. Yeah. Um, so and then, but that all that money is owed back to them. So if you make let's say fifteen thousand dollars a year, and you're signed there for ten years. However much that is, I'm terrible at math. You owe that yeah. to him to them once you start making money. Now oh, when you okay. lose your deal, you don't have to pay it back. Okay. But they're going to take the first. Let's say you're in the whole hundred fifty grand. Mm-hmm. They're going to take the first hundred fifty thousand dollars you make. Um, and depending on your deal, they can recoup only half the time, so you do get a little bit. But um, so it's kind of like a credit card that you only have to pay back if you're successful with zero percent interest rate, which is nice. Yes. Um, so and that's how a record deal is as okay. well. Um, so yes, you you have enough that you can concentrate on on writing songs, but it's certainly not enough to like to live. Yeah. Really. You know, you have to go play gigs and maybe yeah. do some corner gigs on the side, but it's not like you have to work full time. Yes. So that's very okay. very helpful. Okay. Wow, that's um I didn't realise that yeah. that was sort of how it works. So back so. in the nineties, mm. um, the record advances were more like I don't even know, I mean I've heard of million dollar record advances back when there was money to be made in the mm. music industry before streaming. Yeah. Streaming changed everything, yeah. obviously, but just crazy. Um, so now an artist might get like ten thousand dollars for an advance and that's to live on while you're making a record. But a lot of times, business managers take that money and put it towards mm-hmm. something else, and you don't even see it. And you're like, "Well, this, this is supposed to be what I'm supposed to live on while I'm making a record, and yeah. that that might be for four years." You know what I mean? Because you don't make a record mm-hmm. every year, so maybe they're giving you ten thousand dollars, but you're meant to live on that for three or four years. It's just crazy. So wow. you see, you have to find some ways to it's make definitely means. a passion project, it's, isn't it? Yeah, I always say I waited tables to support my songwriter habit. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. absolutely, and. So you are, you're over here, you're about to head off on a nine-day tour with Sam Outlaw. Mm-hmm. What are you most looking forward to? I'm definitely looking forward to these UK audiences every night. Yeah. As we said, just the being, I'm excited to see the venues. I'm excited just to be in this place with so much history. Mm. You know, I've just been walking around, walking around and having yeah. a lovely time not even doing anything. I'm really excited to play in Sam's band because I was telling you earlier yeah. that's not something I really get to do. So it's kind of best of both worlds because I get to do my music as the opener and sing my songs, and then I get to be in his band and play acoustic guitar and sing backgrounds and just enjoy, just kind of the joy of creating music on stage. Yeah. So I think I think it's just gonna be great. And this is really my first tour. Well, it's definitely my first tour supporting someone else um, in their band. So I think it's gonna be blast. And. When you came over here, so you came over here, October 2020, mm-hmm. um, all getting set to play, I think, was it Country in the Afternoon? Yes. Yes. 
and then we went into lockdown mm-hmm. and you were stuck at it. But you did actually do, uh, you, uh, you did a streaming gig, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, yeah I, I did, watched I that. I did Country Natural. did that as a live stream. And I actually did like four other live streams while I was here just for my own fans. And how have you found the whole streaming, you know, online yeah. gig thing? Have you used Twitch or Patreon or any of those mm-hmm. sort of platforms? Has that? helped you because I, I know obviously there have been lots of hideous things about the pandemic but one of the great things that I've witnessed UK artists saying and and being able to do is to get in touch with people across the world that they would never normally have been able to engage with have you seen that that's actually sort of had a positive Definitely. impact on you I feel like I got to know my community in a way mm. that I wouldn't have so, you know, I might meet someone in a meet and greet after a show and maybe they get three minutes with me or I get three minutes with them before my manager or tour manager whisks the next yeah. person into the yeah. row. So you don't really get to know someone, but I had the same people. I did a live stream every week for yeah. the for the entirety of twenty twenty one and a lot into twenty twenty yeah. or twenty twenty, a lot into twenty twenty one as well. So it was the same people coming back week after week and I did twenty minute Zoom call VIPs afterwards. Yeah. So I got to know these people, you know, we would all be in the chat during the show talking and, you know, it was like, I know their children's names and, you know, what they're passionate about, and, mm-hmm. you know, how was, how was Johnny's hockey game yesterday? Yeah. And, you know, like, how's the new car? Like, yeah. really, like you really get to know these yeah. people. So I feel like it really brought my community a lot closer mm-hmm. in a way that we wouldn't have had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And also just like a even more gratitude towards these people because they really kept me alive during COVID. I mean, I couldn't play shows. I lost my income and all I could do was live streams and, you know, these people kept me off unemployment. Mm-hmm. So, but I think on the other hand, you have helped them mm-hmm. as well. And music is so, so powerful and it does help so many people. Yeah. And it helps me, you yeah. know, and, you know, and have, knowing that, you know, you can log in on a Friday night or whatever it might be. Yeah. And you're going to see familiar faces and especially for people who live on their own. Yes. Um, and who maybe struggle with mental health mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. I think it's been amazing. Yeah. And and I think it's something we really actually have to acknowledge and take forward because, as we've all seen, you don't know what the world's going to throw at you. Um, but it really has helped so many people get through the last couple mm-hmm. of years. So I think for all artists who've done that, yes, like you're saying, everybody has helped you, but you have helped so many so many different so, people yeah. as well. I think it's it's so powerful um, for that. However, I can uh, completely understand that you're keen to get back to live, oh, yeah. live performances and, and full band things. Yeah, so great. Absolutely, absolutely. And when you, going back to Nashville, so with the, with the podcast, we do a little chat about the background, mm-hmm. um, but also about Nashville and we have some tips recommendations yeah. and, and stuff for all of our listeners so when you moved there was it as you'd expected what were your sort of first impressions what had what was the image that you had in your head before you went and how did it how did it live up to them Gosh, it's so interesting it's been so long I'll see if I can remember I think I just tend to do things in my life where I don't know how it's going to work out, but I don't know what else to do, so I just do it. So Wing I just, it, that's what we yeah, like. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I just kind of moved there on a whim. I knew two people, mm. Natalie Stovall and her yeah. husband. They weren't married at the time, but I knew them from college. Yeah. I knew at least there a couple of people I yeah. knew that I could meet up with. Um, yeah, I just, I think it was very overwhelming. 
And I just kind of set my sights low on what do I need to do to survive? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get a job waiting tables. And at that job, I met other musicians. Yeah. And that was like, okay, great. Yeah. Here we go. You know, and it was through that that, oh, well, you play a Martin. I play a Martin. Let's be best friends, yeah. you know. And then we're writing music together. And next thing you know, I'm in a duo with this girl from the Cheesecake Factory, yeah. you know. And, and yeah. then we're on this reality show, and it just spirals, you yes. know. So you just need to be in it. You need to be around the creative people. You just need to immerse yourself in that group of people and you'll find your way and so Natalie Stovall is obviously part of Runaway mm-hmm. June now and yeah. she was your co-writer yeah, on Hypocrite yeah. and when you when you moved to Nashville mm-hmm. were you were you writing with her already was she sort of an old friend that you had done a lot with already or? so Natalie and I went to college together and okay. she was I think one or two years ahead of me yeah and she was the bright, shining star yeah. of Berkeley College of Music. And yeah. she knew what she wanted. She grew up singing at Operaland. Yeah. She was the country music star of Berkeley. I mean, she still is yeah, in Nashville. Um, she's an amazing performer. So I think I had a couple classes with her, and I was just like, whoa, like I could never do that. You know, yeah. it was just, she was so intimidating. But she had this band, and she would take this band home. She's from Nashville. So she would take them all during the summers, home to Nashville, and they would play gigs in Nashville, which was really cool. And I lived across the hall from her keyboard player, and we started dating. Right. And he was living with her now husband, James, who was the drummer in her band. So I met Dave and James first, and then Natalie would kind of come around every once in a while, and I'd just be like, oh my God, she's so amazing. Um, so I knew her a little bit in college. Um, we were certainly friends and friendly, but not close like we are today. Yeah. And then when I moved to Nashville, we would hang out every once in a while, and I would see her, but I would hang out with James more, and I actually moved in with him, me and my sister moved in with him, so I always joke, I lived with her husband before she did. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then I think somewhere along the way, we started writing together, and just hit it off, and yeah, maybe like four or five years into knowing each other, we just became best friends, yeah. and now I just don't know what I would do without her. And it's been so nice through this whole career, I think for both of us to have someone who really, because no one really understands exactly what it is to be a female artist in Nashville, unless you are one. Mm -hmm. So it's so nice to have friends who are doing the exact same thing as you because they really understand what you're going through and the ins and outs of it. And do you think it is still as important to be in Nashville if you want to be a country artist or if you were kind of making those choices now as opposed to to back then would you still decide to move to Nashville or would you think actually you'd be able to give it a go if you stayed at home in New York for example or I don't think so I I think I would definitely still move to Nashville um I do think there's a point in your career where you don't have to live there anymore Mm -hmm. I kind of realized that during COVID I was like oh I'm at the point now where if I wanted to you know have a home on the beach or something I could fly in but I think to at first to make the connections and meet the people it's very important Mm. to be there although I have heard people say that sometimes it's really helpful splitting your time Mm. because then when you're like well I'm only here these two weeks of the month people will kind of fix their schedule around that yeah whereas if you're there all the time they're like I'll catch up with you when I catch up with you so I would say you at least have to be there half the time yeah in the beginning yeah then you you can be anywhere and when you're writing songs like where do you get your inspiration from that must have been I'm guessing quite difficult over COVID oh, you know yes. when you're not able to go out and, and do things and I know lots of artists get their inspiration that being on the road. I realized yeah I was used to going out and having these big romantic adventures and just like traveling and living this kind of 
extraordinary, crazy life and writing about all those experiences. And when there wasn't anything going on, I dried up pretty quick. Yeah. Um, there was, I was in a long distance relationship at the time and he was actually over here. And so we were banned from each other's countries. Oh, so I got a few good songs yeah. about yeah. that. But other than that, I was just like, nothing's happening. There's nothing, mm. nothing to write about. And it really, it was really hard. You know? Did you find that you were sort of having to dig deep into old memories that you'd sort of never touched before? Or did you use the time to go back over old songs that you'd written but hadn't done anything with? Mm. Was there any of... That no, I did not like to push myself to do no. anything. I just I wrote when I was inspired. The majority of the time I took, um, we were kind of talking about this earlier. I dug into the live streaming, yeah, and it was, it was clear very quickly. I think the first time I went live, there were maybe like ten other people going live at the same time, mm. and then the next week I went live, and there were like fifty. I was mm. like, okay, so everyone and their mom is on Instagram Live and Facebook Live for free. I need to do a show that I can sell tickets at because I need to live yeah. and eat. And um, I'm clearly going to have to have an exemplary product, you know, that's different and mm. a higher quality product than that. So I learned the technology OBS, so right. Open Broadcasting Software, I think is what that stands for. And in there, you can kind of create scenes. And so I would do a different show every week, I did theme shows. So like one could be 90s country and the next week like be Disney songs. Mm. And so I was learning like 10 to 12 songs per week, which took a long time. I was pre-recording a lot of it. I did an intro video, did an intermission, slides, and like merch slides and all the things. So it was really like kind Amazing. of having your own TV show. Um, and it took a lot of time and it mm. took a lot of learning curve with the technology. Yeah. It was like, oh my gosh, sometimes I would get off the live stream and just burst into tears because something crazy mm. went wrong and it's so out of your control. It is so it out felt of like your a, control. You, you know, you're yeah. like, so I think at the time it also felt like a metaphor for the world. Everything was so out of control. And I just was like, if I could just do this Facebook Live with the proper audio and the proper video camera coming in and, like, all the things, yeah. and then everything's going to be okay, you know, um, and it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> so it took me a while, but once I got used to that, you know, the, once I got the hang of it, it was easy, and it was really cool then because I got to kind of show other artists how to do it, too, mm. so that they could have income streams because someone was kind enough to teach me, Yeah. Um, so that's an awesome thing. I don't ever think I'll stop doing live streams mm. because... They're great. They're a great way. You know, none of them can be in Detroit, Michigan yeah, for a show. Absolutely. But they're very labor intensive. Um, I, I think I could make it a little easier on myself if I was just hopping on there and singing my songs for mm. an hour and not. But I guess I always look at Again, you know, this is going back to having your USP, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and I don't know when you were at college if you did a lot of music business. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Yeah, but you know that is the reality, oh, yes. isn't it? You have yes. to be a businesswoman, yes, as well yes, as an artist. It's so yeah, it's so interesting you say that. That's that's so much of it, and now so much of that is social media, mm-hmm. and I feel like the demands are growing even more mm-hmm. by the day on artists. And so many artists that I know are just like so angry about it, and it, we're all really stressed. We're all over it, but um, I I guess during COVID, I, I kind of fell off social media because in my mind I was like there's things that are really terrible happening mm. in the world and people are dying and they're losing family members and people are separated. Mm. And who am I to post a picture of me drinking a martini on a rooftop yeah. with my best friend and talking about some song I write about a boy. Like nobody yeah. cares. There's important things happening. And my mind kind of was expanded so much mm. that it was hard for me to feel like that was worthy of sharing. So when I got back on social media and hypocrite, um, you know, I would dabble, but it wasn't like, I didn't feel the drive, yeah. you know, it was hard. So when Hypocrite was coming out, I was like, Ruth, you've got to get back on here. This is your job. You have to promote this. This is the job. 
So I hired a actually 19 year old girl to kind of help me yeah. back figure out what was going on and how to do it. And it is a lot of work. I mean, it takes me probably one to two full work days a week to mm. get all the content I need for mm. a week. Yeah. But the way I look at it is if someone told me you could have a record deal and you will have a record label that will help you record music and help you sort through songs and produce them and release them to country radio and pay for marketing and trips to the UK and help you, your dreams come true. Yeah. You know, all you have to do is post one reel to Instagram a day, three TikToks, 20 Instagram stories, and like a couple carousels a week. Anyone would do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you frame it in that context, we'd all do it. Yeah. You know, but it's just like, I think it's the constant pressure of like, and now this, and now this, add it on, and now this. It is like overwhelming. Especially if there's not a lot going on mm-hmm. anyway, and you're kind of scrabbling for ideas. That's, content, why, that's why I'm so thrilled by, even though it's more work hours, kind of what's going on on Instagram and TikTok right now. It's really stupid, but I don't, I don't create the trends, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this whole trending audio thing yeah. where we're all like lip syncing to whatever yeah. quote is new yeah. and that pops you through in the, in the algorithm. I mean, it's kind of stupid, but you can relate it back to your niche. And yeah. so all I do is talk about country music and songwriting yeah. on my Instagram and my TikTok. But what's really nice now is I don't have to every single day go, hey, have you listened to Hypocrite? Hey, have you listened to Hypocrite? Have you listened to Hypocrite? I can, like, use some funny voice uh, that's already out there, yeah. mime it, and then go, like, how I feel when my record label asks to do this. So in that way, I'm actually very inspired because I don't have to be the one coming up with, right? oh, my Absolutely. God, and that is, like, because when you're creating content and thinking of ideas all day long, I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, you don't have any room mm-hmm. in your brain to write a song, and that's what we're here to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I actually think it's a really interesting time and it is overwhelming, but you know, it's just, like you said, it's, it's part of the job. Yeah. It's part of being a business person. And, and I think that does, you know, that does make the difference yeah, um, from a, a mediocre artist and a mm-hmm. successful artist because you do, unfortunately, yeah, have to do these, job. have to do these. Think about that all the time though. You think about like the great artists in the sixties and the seventies and Maybe they didn't have the personalities that you have right. to have to be a quote-unquote influencer right. or whatever. And we may have missed out on generations of music that are the reasons mm. that we're all here today. If you hadn't read that back then, yeah. thank God you didn't, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so I'm very conscious of the time here, so we'll try and wrap it up a little yes, bit I'm a talker, so no, me too, me too. I could sit here <laughs> yes, all, all evening. Um, going back, back to Nashville... And sort of recommendations for people who haven't been there or who've been waiting the last two years, building up what they're going to do in Nashville. Do you have any kind of top recommendations for things that people very much do? do. Okay, so obviously you're going to have to go to Broadway. That's the thing everyone's going to tell you to do. My top picks on Broadway: everyone says go to Tootsie's. Tootsie's Tootsie's is fun, so go have her drink there and see what you want. Um, But basically, every bar on that strip is just going to be another cover bar. They're all going to be singing whatever Jason Aldean song is on the radio. So it's cool to go see, but you can go into any of them. There can be like that Legends is another good one. So my top pick for Broadway is Roberts. It is the only bar on Broadway that locals go to. It is incredible. And that's a very original bar because it looks just like all the other honky-tonks. It's really small and kind of narrow, but they have the most incredible Western country music there. And it's going to be classic, old-fashioned, like almost Texas swing country. Amazing music. 
and it's going to be like there'll be people dancing, and it's it's the real traditional honky talk. Amazing. So you have to go to Roberts. The other one on Broadway is um, Acme is a really good yeah. place to go see music. I live in East Nashville. I am an East Nashville snob. I think all the good bars and restaurants are in East Nashville. Yeah. So I'm going to say go to East for your like foodie endeavors. And my absolute favorite thing I always tell everyone: my favorite night in Nashville is by far a Tuesday night. It has to be Tuesday. You can start at Lock on Table in East Nashville. It is a really beautiful, bougie, fine dining restaurant, but they have a great happy hour, mm. 4 to 6.30 PDR. Everything is $6. Amazing. So you can drink, like, like fantastic cocktails and eat delicious, fancy food for, like, 25 bucks. Yeah. Then you cross the street to Urban Cowboy, which is this beautiful boutique um, bed and breakfast with this gorgeous outdoor bar with fire pits. It's just so beautiful. So you go over there for a cocktail. That is not going to be cheap. But you have one yeah. little cocktail yeah. or have a beer. And um, so just sit there and watch all the East National people and, like, get the artist vibe. It's all going to be, like, musicians and trendy people. And then um, Rosemary is another good bar to go there, but that's more, like, fancy. And then after Urban Cowboy, you have to go to Hockey Tonk Tuesday. It's at the American Legion down the road in Inglewood. Yes. And it is the most phenomenal country experience we'll ever have. People dress up in, like, full Western gear. You feel like you're in, you know, like, Houston, Texas in the 1940s. The bands, it's going to be the best traditional country you've ever seen. And it's the most joyful thing to do, just watching these people dance and have some drinks. The music is incredible. So that's that's my – and then after they close, you can wander up to the underdog and they keep the party going. So it's right next door. So, yeah, that's that's my perfect Tuesday night. I'm so desperate to go back to Nashville yes, again. I'm going to have go. such a good time. You will, you um, will. No, those are brilliant recommendations. Thank you. And what about if you were going um, still in Tennessee, but you know, if you were going for a long weekend somewhere, oh, yeah. where would kind of where would you escape to? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people go to the Smoky Mountains. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I think Chattanooga is another really cool city. Yeah. They've got great food, and you can go see a show there. It'd be cool. Um, Gatlinburg is cool, but it's a little bit touristy. Mm. I really love just a few hours down the road. It's not technically in Tennessee, it's just a couple hours away. Blue Ridge, Georgia okay. has a really beautiful little town. Um, I go play, um, like songwriter nights there a lot, okay. a few times a year. I go stay in a cabin, yeah, a little hot tub, and Amazing. so that's a really nice place to go Amazing. to. And what would be your best place to eat if you were gonna splash out one night? Where would you Where would you go? So I already talked about Lock and yeah. Table. Um, although the key out makes that pretty affordable. Okay, so there's um, a really cool new place. There's, well, there's this area called Fifth and Broad that just opened yeah. up on Broadway. It's bizarre. It almost looks like Santa Monica. Um, but they have this uh, food court in there that's all these local places. Yeah. So that's a really cool place to go. And I think right near, near the entrance of Fifth and Broad, Justin Timberlake just opened a new restaurant Amazing. called the 1230 Supper Club, I think it's yeah. called. But they're for Valentine's Day. It's very bougie, very fancy. Um, food's amazing, and there's great jazz music there. Yeah. So that might be a really cool place Amazing. And obviously, you've been over here. You were at c to see Did you get to see any other artists? And if so, sort of, do you have like a UK artist to watch? Ooh, that's a really good, good one. Um... I saw Morgan Way play yeah. the big entrance stage yeah. and was super impressed. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea what I was walking into. And then all of a sudden, this girl was singing, was like blowing my face off. And then she went like four octaves higher. And yeah. It's like, what? And it just seemed really like cool, high energy. Yeah. So I was very impressed by them. 
think that's the only UK artist actually yeah. we managed to see because we were doing press yeah. all day. Yeah, yeah. I did go see Teal Town. She's not a UK girl, but um, my friend Adam plays bass for both yeah. of us, so that was really fun to go see him play the arena. Yeah. Um, Kate yeah, Smith was here. Great. She's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, yeah absolutely. And what about? A US artist to watch who we wouldn't necessarily have heard of over here in someone the UK up and yet. Yeah, someone up and coming. Okay, well, I have to give a shout out to my best friend, Nikita Carmen. So, okay. Natalie Soval, obviously, as well. Yeah. Natalie and Nikita and I are sort of a little threesome. We do everything together and they're just my best friends. And yeah. Nikita ha- technically has no publishing deal right now. And it's just like, she's the most prolific writer. She sent me, uh, she sent me a song this morning. She's like, I have a song for you that she literally wrote, uh, wrote about my life because I've had a breakup in the last two weeks, and she's like, here you go, and it was just like, oh my god, like, oh. I'm not even ready to write songs about it, and yeah. she's already writing yeah. songs about it, um, so she's just the best songwriter I know in town, she's, she had a song out with Walker Hayes, and he's right. producing her record that she's working on right now, but really pop country, um, just amazing singer-songwriter, so I would probably say amazing. Nikita Carmen for sure, because she just blows me away, I'm oh, so definitely. to write with her. Definitely check her out. Yeah. And probably final question, what would be your go-to road trip song? Oh my gosh, let's look at, I have a road trip playlist, so let's see what my favorite would be. It's probably going to be Gregory Allen, Isaacoff, or Patty Griffin, but I think Gregory's more, um, more traveling music, so let's see, maybe... Oops, I was going to play yeah. Harris for you. As Boulder, someone just said, what do you think the saddest song in country music is? And that's what I sent out. Boulder to Birmingham. What, what was the... Emily. Oh, yeah. Um, just because she cut it right after Graham died. Um, okay, so let's see. Gregory Allen, Isakoff for sure. Gosh, anything off the sea, the gambler. Yeah. Or something on an atmosphere. See, maybe the big black car, dandelion wine, shit, I don't know, master and <laughs> hound. Yeah, so difficult. Anything Gregory Allen I because he's just my go-to traveling. Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. And so, can you just reel off your social media handles, Absolutely. website, yeah. etc. Yes, so my website is ruthiecollinsmusic.com, so you can go there for merch and updates. Um, and then my socials, I'm on TikTok and. Instagram primarily. I think someone tweets for me, but I'll tell you right now, it's not me. Um, so Instagram, I'm super active on. I respond to all DMs that come in because I just yeah. love chatting with people. And TikTok also is at Ruthie Collins Music. So Amazing. at Ruthie Collins Music on all of them. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank it's you been for an absolute pleasure. It's so fun. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to uh, hearing more of your music. Thank you. And uh, good luck with your tour. Thank you so much. Fun times. You have been listening to the Tales of Tennessee podcast with me, Georgie T. You can keep up to date with the podcast by following us at talesoftennessee.podbean.com or by following all of our social media channels for the Tennessee Fields Festival. The handle is at TNFieldsFest on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can also follow me, Georgie T, on Instagram at the underscore accidental underscore everything. We'd love to hear from you. So don't forget, you can email us at talesoftennessee at yahoo.com. And as always, thanks go to Francis and Archie Ween for providing the jingles for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Sitting on the porch with Georgie T. 
hearing tales of Tennessee. Mm-hmm.